Welcome back. Another week, the Knuckle Push-Ups Podcast. We're talking hoops in here. I'm Sean Silver. You might have heard me on the airwaves, the radio airwaves, terrestrial radio, as uh, old fuddy-duddies would say, 98.5 The Sports Hub. And I am joined, as always, with my good pal, a huge fan of the masked singer, Patrick O'Connor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a man of many facets, many talents, many interests. A lot of ins, a lot of outs here. Uh, the mass Singer being just one of them. Can I just... I, I understand the concept that celebrities don some sort of costume and sing songs. That's why really it, why would sure. I like the mass Singer? Well, let me just uh, explain it to you of what Nick Cannon, the host of the mass Singer... how he Oh, just, really? He's the host? Oh, yeah. The host with the most, my man. Nick Cannon is doing some of his best work in The Masked Singer. Let me uh, let me just tell you, when he was promoting Hour 2 of The Masked Singer last night, how he described mm-hmm. the show. And if you're not sold by this, we got to mm-hmm. reevaluate a lot of things. Okay. TV's most outrageous fever dream. <laughs> and that's the most accurate description of anything I've ever heard because it's Broadway-level costuming. Uh-huh. Performed in front of an audience that is prompted to do different like hand signals based on the character that's performing. That's wild. It's amazing. Ken Jong, <laughs> yep. Dr. Ken, in Jenny McCarthy Wahlberg, Robin mm-hmm. Thicke, and Nicole Scherzinger are the oh. are the panelists. And yes. every once in a while they have other famous people come in. Celebrity guests have included Keenan Thompson from nice. SNL. Nice. Last night was Anthony Anderson. Oh, okay. From Blackish. It's just it's a it's a quite the ride and I discovered it last year on a snow day in between shoveling the driveway and shoveling the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It's truly it's I enjoy the Mass Singer more than I like the NFL. I've completely dedicated to that. I've only heard about Patriots losses in passing because I'm 100% focused to watching in. the Mass Singer. In on the Mass Singer. In. So I I didn't know much about it. Uh, I think Antonio Brown had been on it at some point. That's in the right, past, right. He was so the first. He was the first person unmasked last season. So it's like, and I I only started looking into this because you tweeted me and mentioned how you're going to make this the the Mass Singer podcast. This was the backdoor um, pilot to our Mass Singer pod. <laughs> so I. I don't know if we're going to go full-on Masked Singer pod here, but I did a little research today, and I found out that Victor Oladipo may be a participant in that's, the Masked Singer this season. The, that's the rumor right now. The rumor is that he's performing as a character known only as Thingamajig. Like, the, the guesses right now, last night, um, one, of the, one of the female, I believe it was Nicole Scherzinger, posited the guess that maybe he was Tony Parker. Roundly rejected by the rest of the panel, who said Tony Parker's two inches shorter than Nick Cannon. Sure. And uh, the thingamajig in the costume is, I'm going to say, seven feet tall. Um, okay. So, but based on, you know, Victor Oladipo's released a couple R&B albums. He, uh, there's, a lot of clue, there's a lot of clue packages that happen. And it's really like there was a, a magic trick being done in the background of one of them. He talked okay. about setting the pace uh, so there's a lot of different things 
uh, that they try to give clues and also Got red it. herrings about who they are. I'm I just but say. listen to like you know after we get off the pod maybe YouTube uh, thingamajig on the mass singer and you'll you'll see right away. I'm I'm 99% sure it's either Victor Oladipo or po- possibly Montel Jordan. And that's just <laughs> that's just what you get with the mass singer. So you got to get wow. on this train, my man. So we've uh, opened up the Knuckle Push-Ups podcast with some hot masked singer talk. Uh, let's talk NBA, my brother. Okay. Um, we gave each other homework assignments last week. Uh, check out a team that had made an impression early in the NBA season, for better or for worse. And yeah. I guess both the teams at the time that we chose them for each other were making an impression for the better. Uh, one team, I would say, has fallen off. The other one has continued to rise, much like the sun. Patrick, tell me about the Phoenix Suns. So I have been, uh, I've, I've been down on the Phoenix Suns since seven seconds or less. I oh. think. Uh, but here's the take. Here's my blazing hot take on the Phoenix Suns: is that because the expectation, the weight of expectation, is like my subplot for the entire NBA season. Uh, coming into the reboot of the 2019-2020 season, we just had a crazy offseason. We had a finals like we've never seen before. A superstar mm-hmm. goes to a team. Like, they win the title, he bounces. It's never happened before. We go from trio to duo. It's really like, you know, and then a crazy, tumultuous free agency. We're in the reboot mode. You know, this is the new, this is the alternate universe. Yeah. Uh, of the NBA. And I love it so far. Every team looks good. Every team looks good right now. Well, not every team. 25 every of team. the 30 teams look real good. You can make a case for a lot of them for playoff spots, if not more. Yeah. And granted, you know, we're five, six games into the season. So, I mean, it all giant grains of salt everywhere. Sure. But with the Suns, I have never, ever, ever felt like, yeah, they could break through. But like watching a couple games this week, I'm turning around. I mean, I think that they they could be like the sneaky good team, or maybe like flirting with the eight seed type of team uh, this year. It's just it's something that's coming through the screen when I watch them. And part of it is I think they might be better without DeAndre Ayton because certain teams, when faced with adversity, like they just rise up. You yeah. know, some teams are built like the Suns. Even in the recent future or the recent past of the Suns, following behind Devin Booker. It's kind of like, all right, he's a good stats, bad team guy. That's all they're ever going to be. That's the ceiling, right? And that's they're all following behind Booker. And it was just like a cast of like, what are we doing here type of guys behind Booker over the past couple of years. That was perfectly set up to kind of be the legacy of eight and two, at least in the first couple of seasons. Because I don't think he's a natural fit running alongside Booker at all. I think it's yeah. Booker's team and they had the first overall pick, so they picked the consensus number one. Mm-hmm. As soon as Aiton goes down or gets suspended for uh, using a banned diuretic, the rest of the Ugh. team has yeah the rest of the team has really risen up. So I like kind of took a like a fine tooth comb to it to think like well who are the guys that they got, and really what I think they did what they've done is what a lot of other teams in similar spots have done when they ha- they're using their cap space a lot more wisely and they didn't just hire guys that could they could piece together behind Aiton and Booker they hired professional basketball players like guys that aren't necessarily role players or individual contributors but guys that just come in and can do the job that they're hired to do my man big shot Baines Aaron Baines looks like like just this, this the amazing out there he's having so, a resurgence 
Aaron Baines, his three-point shot looks exactly the same as it did when he was with the Celtics, and yet he's hitting him at a near 50% clip. I mean, what? Ex- I mean, he's still like he like drifts three feet when he shoots that three. Right. Yo, he's and yet sta- he's starting behind the line on. and ending at the charity stripe. But yeah. <laughs> like he's taking it's like off a video game character. Off. Yeah. But I, here's the thing: like I'm every time I saw Baines touch the ball, my but the thought that immediately jumped into my brain was. Man, do I miss him in Boston. Yep. And I think the reason why he's shining right now is because he has the opportunity to do so. I'm going to say something similar, even though they're not on the Suns. Uh, well, I noticed it in the Suns-Philly game. I felt the same way about Al Horford. I yep. watched that game back again on condensed view, and I'm going to say 60% of all the plays they showed for Philly involved Al Horford in some way. I think over the last year, like in Boston – Kyrie just had the ball all the time. So, like, Al didn't have the opportunity to shine the way he does here. Because, like, the guys in Philly that he's playing with, the other starters, they're not great three-point shooters. Like, Simmons right. doesn't have a jump shot. Yep. Joel takes them, but he's not great at them. He should so get into the basket. He's just, like, they're putting the ball in the professionals' hands, and that's what the Suns are doing. They signed Ricky Rubio, same thing. He's bounced around a little bit, but always he's learning. He's a professional basketball player now like he not a hired gun like Marco Bellinelli but just a professional guy who can do the job at a high level just came yeah. off a couple of seasons with with uh, Quinn Snyder it's uh the people they hired guys coming out of systems they could trust and hired guys they could trust to do the right job Frank Kamitsky, I think that's probably what his ceiling will be that type of player but he's proven that out in Phoenix now uh, and I, I just, I really was, I was very impressed with the squad. I think they're going to have a pretty good 25 games without Aiden. I don't think it's like we need to reboot again down in, uh, down in Phoenix in the Valley of the Sun. Yeah. Hopefully with their, you know, the salary structure and things like that, they can just add to what they currently have, you know, get a good young team, but you know, bring in more professional players, as you say, around there. The thing is, it's like, you know, we talk about the, the super teams now, or not super teams, but the dynamic duos. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you kind of wonder, well, if the Suns need to have a dynamic duo, who would that be? I mean, maybe they don't need to have a dynamic duo. Maybe that's not the model for them, but it's Booker and then who else? Who are you really building around? You're not building your franchise around Ricky Rubio. You're not building it around Aaron Baines. But, you know, they're nice pieces. Are you building it around Aiton? Is Kelly Oubre Jr.? Making the leap, those are all kind of questions that they're going to have to flesh out. And they have the opportunity to because they were predicted to be a basement team this year. Exactly. The expectations aren't that high. Exactly. And that's the time to flourish and kind of become like an NBA hipster league pass favorite and just have a year of resurgence like that where you've got more interest in the team. I mean, you can't really discount that. That's going to speak highly to guys in the league too who are like think of like an Evan Turner type when he came to Boston. Mm-hmm. Like That was like, you know, kind of like – Pretty good run in Philly, but he wasn't part of the process going forward. He was part of the process that got them the pieces that became the process. Yeah. And and but then he went to Indiana, like couldn't get any minutes off the bench in Indiana. And then kind of we were like, what's next for Evan Turner? He signed with the Celtics and had a little bit of a career resurgence here. Became really a steadfast kind of guy that. But I think spending time in Boston kind of gave him the second leg of his career. Got paid by Portland, and now he's going to be that guy, that professional type. In Atlanta, that yeah. Atlanta like thrives off of, because you got to pack your team with guys who can get the job done, even if the job is make us somewhat competitive. 
Yeah, like uh, another guy who was in Philly at the same time as ET, like Thad Young, there's exactly. a professional player. You know, he's he's going to bounce around. He's going to go to organizations. He's stuck in Chicago right now. Oh yeah, um, that's maybe not working out the way that they planned, but perhaps some team will want to trade for a professional player like a Thad Young coming up this year. So the Minnesota Timberwolves were my assignment. I watched a couple of their games. Okay, and, uh, the first one was against the Bucks. Uh, Cat was not present for that. He was on a suspension for clocking Joel Embiid, which I love him for. Deservedly uh, so. Yes. And then uh, the Grizzlies was the uh, the other game that I watched. Um, they did not have Jeff Teague for that one, but Cat was back. And, and basically, I mean, my observation is simple. They lost both games. You could think, okay, yeah, you played Milwaukee, a team with Giannis. You don't have your big gun. Of course, you're going to go down in that game. I saw Bob Covington maybe trying to step forward in the first half and assert some dominance. He's a nice toolsy player, but you know, you don't have Cat. You're not going to beat the Bucks. The Grizzlies game, that is what intrigued me because that's a winnable game for a team like Minnesota, uh, but they just don't have enough supporting pieces, and that was apparent in the Memphis game. Carl uh, Anthony Towns did not have uh, this 35 point, 20 rebound, you know, kind of contest. He had a, a very good game. And Andrew Wiggins spent a bit more economical with his game. But I don't think that Andrew Wiggins really steps past the, you know, as they, they say it in baseball all the time, you know, that guy's not a Hall of Famer. He's in the Hall of the Very Good. Uh, that might be Andrew Wiggins' ceiling. So, in terms of, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and the Timberwolves being a dominant team, they, they're going to have a hard time winning games without him putting up huge stat lines. They just don't have the depth. Just hearing you say that, kind of uh, saying that he's in the hall of very good, I'm getting some Joe Johnson vibes from Andrew Wiggins a little bit. I don't even know if he's going to be Joe Johnson level, but I, I see what you're saying. See what yeah, I'm saying? I mean, yeah, he, the thing is about Joe is Joe could do things other than score, and Wiggins really hasn't shown that consistently. I do think he'll get paid by many teams to do that job, though. That's true. That's true. And and Joe Johnson, that was the hallmark of his NBA existence. I mean, that guy, he could still pick up a check somewhere before all is said and done. Big three, baby. I mean, I can't believe he got cut in Detroit. Tell me that the Pistons can't use him. But anyways, the uh, the Wolves, my homework assignment, was was not a fun one. My team went 0-2, Patrick. Well, we're going to try again next week. I got, a, I got one lined up for you. Oh, okay. Like, it's actually, it's a little more uh, of a theoretical assignment. Okay. So let's see who applies to it. Which team have you spent zero time with thus far? Good, bad, or indifferent? Just who hasn't made it to your TV yet? Hmm. Well, actually, quite a few. I mean, you're in the same sort of position as me. You know, new dad. You know, there's not, you're busy with Mass Singer. You know, Wednesday nights are This Is Us nights in our house, so... You know, my, my league pastime is limited. i got to pick a real good one. So there's a bunch of teams that I haven't actually really crossed paths with yet. Um, I don't know, maybe like the Magic. All right, so let's refine a little bit. The who's Pelicans get, with, who's getting without a lot of Zion. Hype. Yeah, who's, who's a, a hype-laden team who you've not watched any ball yet? I feel like I've hit on all the hype teams just because, you know, my curiosity has peaked. And I feel like there's like post-hype teams, you yeah. know, like you heard about in the – like. In terms of homework assignments, I figured last week was a, hey, you know, let's go see about a girl kind of thing to see if you're going to fall in love with this new team. Uh, this week, I think wellness checks are, are more Ooh. appropriate. I love it. I love it. And I like let's go see about a team might be our first uh, running joke on the show. 
Might be our first piece of merch. Let's go see about some hoops. Yeah, let's. Uh, you got a t-shirt guy? <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a t-shirt guy. All right. Uh, all right. So like, so you want to see like some post hype, or um, I so. want to I want to check in on somebody where it's it's just kind of like wow things are not going according to plan here. Okay. Okay. And I got one for you as well. What? Do you, okay. So mm-hmm. that sounds like for you. I'd like you. To, I'd like to. I'd like some um, some silver fox takes on the Golden State Warriors. Oh, jeez. Hey, man. <laughs> you got to <laughs> earn this podcast time. Well. I'm not going to, you know, set you up with something as uh, dire as that, but a team that was in the Western Conference Finals last year, who uh, things have not started according to plan for them, even though Damian Lillard is playing out of his mind, I'm going to send you to the Pacific Northwest and the Trailblazers. Chef's kiss. Can't wait. All right. So my question for you and we might bandy this one about for a couple minutes here because this is a, a podcast fighting out of Boston Mass. If someone was given the Boston Celtics as a homework assignment for their NBA-centric podcast, what would they report back on? What would other people see and observe uh, through six, now seven games of Boston Celtics basketball this season? I think they might be saying, this Gordon Hayward guy is pretty good. <laughs> I think that, I mean, that's the number one thing, right? I mean, I think yep. Mar- Marcus Smart for the longest time has been such a a guy that, like, is, like, fiercely defended in Boston and also bashed in Boston, mm-hmm. but no one else better bash him. Like, if you're wearing green, you can be like, Marcus, don't take that shot. But, like, I think anyone in Boston would fiercely defend Smart. Um, so I can't really go with him. I mean, he's getting a little bit of national attention now because he's like the elder statesman on the team. Yeah. But I think most people would be really surprised at how, man, they're really keeping it together without Kyrie. And uh, Gordon Hayward looks like he's back. Um, for me, the, the harmony is very noticeable. And then the fact that, like, how many other teams in the NBA, the Warriors used to be this team, but now you're sending me to watch them when they're, Starting all rookies and jabronis. <laughs> That's right. The G League Golden State Warriors. Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, but how many teams in the NBA have four different players who could give you 25 points literally any night? It's 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 like there's a lot of teams now where, you know, you think of like bands. Think about like in the, the hard, you know, hard rock, like hair band, classic rock era. It's classic rock now. But it basically was like you get a you get a an energetic front man. You get like a killer guitarist, and then who the hell cares about your rhythm section? They're just they could be anybody, right? But those are the two guys at the forefront. You know, it's your your David Lee Roth, Eddie Van Halen, it's your Plant and Page, it's your it, even even though you know you don't discount the musicianship of the other guys in Led Zeppelin, but to to follow that along, like the Celtics are a super group. Yeah, they have four really really good guys. Um, and beyond that, yeah, they have Marcus Smart, and we don't really know what to expect from Ennis Cantor, and, and it gets a little thin there. But they have four really, really good guys, and any one of you could, any one of them could lead you any night of the week. I think from a music comp standpoint, I don't want to step on a future segment, but from a music comp standpoint, the Celtics might be. I'm getting a little some wafts of Audio Slave, mm. you know, where it's like you're taking different parts of different bands that were really great and kind of mashing them together. You don't necessarily expect them to work, 
But once you hear the first couple notes of Cochise, you know this was what was supposed to happen. Yeah. And that's the way I kind of feel. I mean, sometimes it's addition by subtraction, too. Sometimes if you could take Rage Against the Machine and get rid of Zach, Kyrie Irving, and add in Chris Cornell, Kemble Walker, you just create <laughs> something new that's just more fun to listen to for the day and age that we're in. And then you just something. send Zach De La Roche off to do the fucking Matrix 2 soundtrack and Bob's your uncle. You're welcome, Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> also wild that the uh, Rage Against the Machine is uh, going to play some dates next year. I mean, wouldn't you? That's essentially <laughs> what the Big Three tour is, right? Let's get the band back together. Yep. That's uh, that's our society nowadays. It's all about nostalgia sells. Nostalgia, baby. Uh, I don't know if it's ever sold as heavily as it has now. I mean, we are just flooded with nostalgia. And what better for knuckle push-ups than to combine two of our favorite things, NBA basketball and pro wrestling, which gripped, gripped us as children and continues to have a grip on us to this day. One thing that we kind of hit on last week was let's take some some NBA players, some NBA teams, let's compare them to pro wrestlers because well, why not? I think like here's the deal, right? I mean, there's seminal moments in everyone's life. Uh-huh. For you and I, like we have a common language. We've been friends for a long time. And there's certain things that if I if I say or compare to, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Doesn't have to be apples to apples because we're talking about emotion here, Sean. Mm-hmm. When I say like if I say like I I got thrown through the barbershop window on this one, I'm not just making a reference to the rockers breaking up. I'm making a reference to being betrayed, yes. <laughs> to feeling shattered. Okay, like that's what a situation can do. That wrestling plays on the emotions of the audience, and so does the NBA. There's yeah. no better storytelling scripted on television than WWE or pro wrestling in general. The storylines far outlast the athleticism, and there's no better unscripted drama than the NBA, and that's why they're on TNT, because they know drama. The, TNT, uh, TNT now home to AEW wrestling. A, ooh, on there's, and there's a comp I have for you coming up with that. But right. I think, yeah, I mean, what we're talking about here is emotion. I don't like I don't care about the ins and outs, the X's and O's of hoops as much as I feel about what it's like to just the rise and fall of the emotion associated with a game or this league. I mean, that's what it does more than anything. It's the best reality show on television. People who are listening to this pod, we don't expect you to know, you know, all of the wrestling references that we make. However, we would like to help you understand why we're making them and why we think that this is a useful exercise. So we'll start with one, I guess, that's you know easy to dip your toe into. And I have a feeling of where this one's going to go. If you don't say the same thing as me, then I'm going to fight you on it. Who is the LeBron of WWE? The LeBron James of WWE is Brock Lesnar. Really? Oh, yeah. Here's my reasoning. So Brock Lesnar, WWE, since he's come back into the fold, the WWE bends to his will. Whether he's asking for stuff or not, the WWE knows he is sure-footed as a mountain goat. He's going to get people to watch. You can build the program around him. And it doesn't matter. As long as he's there, Like people are going to be interested. There's a lot of crossover appeal, and he can pull in fans from other parts. Plus, He's the pinnacle of what a pro wrestler should look like. That's what people think of when they think pro wrestler. It's basically a gladiator, and that's Brock Lesnar. 
I think it's the same for LeBron James, who's like the pinnacle of what an NBA player should be like. But here's where the comp comes in. Okay. Because LeBron James, just like Brock Lesnar, they're out for LeBron James and Brock Lesnar. The, mm-hmm. the league folds themselves around them to keep them happy, to keep them at the forefront. But once they're gone, it's going to take a lot to fill the vacuum. And the two people who don't care are Brock Lesnar and LeBron James. You really thought that through. And, and I, here, I think it beats... Here comes the pain. Beats, yeah, it beats my, my comp. I, I think that what you said about you know the, the void that kind of exists, the vacuum when one of those guys departs because they've been catered to for so many years at the expense of you know the other surrounding superstars that 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 fits perfectly i was going to say john cena i knew you would <laughs> because he's the flagship but it's it it lebron annoys me um john cena does not annoy me this is less of a knock on cena and more on how he's marketed by the company um and just kind of how he's, he's shoved he was shoved down your throat maybe this is more like john cena five years ago or you know five to ten years ago was shoved down your throat, but the the difference is LeBron controls how he's marketed, and he's going out there and doing dumb things like trying to trademark Taco Tuesday and starting Taco Tuesday chants at, at Staples Center. I don't know if this guy is, is trying to win a championship or if he's trying to get a role in the next Scooby-Doo cartoon. Well, we're going to read some kind of singularity for you if John Cena winds up being cast as like an evil security guard or something in Space Jam. <laughs> well, they have been in a movie together. Which one? Oh, Trainwreck, right? That's right, Trainwreck. They both had a role in Trainwreck. That's right, and 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 the tag team of the new millennia was born. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're going to be seeing these guys for God knows how long. John Cena actually screen. shows up on my comp list later on, so okay. don't, don't you worry. All right. Who is the Steph Curry of WWE? A great question. A great question. My answer here, Rey Mysterio Jr. Really? Completely revolutionized the way basketball is played in 2019. Like, so when you look at basketball between, let's say, um, 2010 to 2015, basketball looked one way. It looks completely after the Warriors, like the Splash Brothers, got through with it. Like, everything that I said about LeBron James is true in the sense that is, like, the pinnacle of what you think of a basketball player should look like, should play like for the longevity, everything. LeBron is just the comp for that old thought of what basketball should be. Mm -hmm. Steph Curry shows you what basketball – like, so – I'm sorry. Let me back it up, make this really poetic. LeBron James is everything you think basketball should be. Steph Curry shows you everything basketball could be. Rey Mysterio, back in 96, when he really kind of hit the scene in WCW, no one had seen him before. Maybe if you're watching public access TV in Philadelphia, you might have seen him on ECW. If you somehow had a feed to AAA or CMLL in Mexico, then maybe you saw the phenomenon that was Rey Mysterio. It wasn't until he showed up in WCW with all the other luchadores that really people saw the amazing things that could be possible within the ropes. It was just revolutionary. Kid's been wrestling since he was 14. He's had almost a 30-year career and he's still doing it. But he's rev- but everything you see in wrestling now, it just shows what you can do even though you're not this huge hulking dude. Rey Mysterio yeah. I think is maybe 5'7". When you just do the stats of the tail of the tape on Steph Curry, like skinny, under 6'3", bad ankles, like shoots the three, but that's not how basketball is played. But you start doing it at that clip, it shows everyone else 
what exactly you can do when you play that way. It just completely pushed the three-point revolution and advanced analytics like to another level to try to understand his game. So that's why Rey Mysterio and Steph Curry are comp comp. Nice. I think that was well done, P. Um, I will say that Steph Curry is Brett the Hitman Hart. Ooh, good one. He's, uh, it, you know, until Hitman had the belt, um, you know, they didn't really go with, with smaller guys as the champs. They, they didn't put the belt on those guys. Um, Steph Curry is in a very uh, small group of players who've had, you know, his kind of dominance under six foot three. And you could argue that, you know, maybe he's, he's the best out of that group. You know, guys like Isaiah Thomas, uh, Thomas won a couple titles. Uh, Allen Iverson won no titles. Uh, but, you know, was obviously very relevant for a lot of different reasons in his era. So there's that. Um, there's the fact that Steph Curry has done it as the leader of the team and also as a guy who kind of seeded the spotlight to another. So in a tag team. So I'm thinking Hart Foundation. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry is kind of the Hart Foundation. Okay. And uh, finally, uh, right now, Steph Curry's hurt. Uh, I would liken that to the Goldberg mule kick Ooh. that uh, ended Bret the Hitman Hart's career, unfortunately. Eek. Um, I'm not saying that Steph Curry's career is over, but he is currently feeling the effects of a uh, concussion-causing kick. But you are calling the Golden State Warriors the dying days of WCW. It's uh, it's possible, man, and that's that's why we're going there to investigate my homework assignment. That's right. That's right. Just Sean Silver with a fedora on, with a press pass sticking out, trying to crack the code of what's going on in Oakland. Oh, excuse me, San Francisco. I was in the city by the bay, brought my <laughs> typewriter and a quill pen, trying to crack the mystery. Um, I got one for you, my man. Uh-huh. So talk to me about Kawhi Leonard. Who is his most appropriate comp for a guy of Kawhi's stature? Kawhi Leonard. Um, possibly, I was listening to one of the Ringer pods this week, uh, described as robotic. Sure. And I would say that, to me, that wrestler is Triple H. Ooh. Uh, I find Triple H boring as hell. I'm sorry. I, I know that, you know, he's he's got a, a great body of work as a sports entertainer, and a lot of people respect and even like him. But, you know, Kawhi Leonard is, you know, he doesn't have much of a personality. Um you know, if you read his backstory, you might you might understand why. You know, Kawhi Leonard's uh, social development might be a little bit different from yours or mine. Um, but you know, he's he's kind of winning. Kind of feels like an inevitability with Kawhi Leonard, and I I feel like uh, at least back in the day, that might be a feeling that you felt with a lot of Triple H matches. Also, the fact that you know, um, Kawhi's won it with the corporation. You know, the Spurs. He's won it with DX, the Raptors, and now he's given it a go with Evolution, with the Clippers. So that's that's my Kawhi comp. Awesome. Very, I like yours a lot more than mine. My comp okay. for Kawhi Leonard, Goldberg. Really? Goldberg. For a much more simple reason. Yes, he's robot. Like, yes, he can be robotic, but the way that Goldberg was kind of pitched when he first came out was just like this cyborg type of just wrestling machine. Yep. Didn't get on the mic, just mowed through people. And that's why he's my comp where he's very good and just Kawhi, stay away from the microphone. I don't need I don't need the personality because I got the I got everything else you're doing, man. I don't need to hear the Claws voice. Well, see, he he's taking he's taking cues from LeBron. I think he's trying to trademark what it do, baby. What it do, baby. 
Yeah, he's giving it a shot, man. But I remember when Goldberg, they finally handed him a microphone, and the voice that came out, I'm like, nah, it just kind of ruined the allure of it. I mean, yeah. just having yeah, the guy having him, just yeah. snarling, breathing, sm- breathing smoke like a dragon, coming out, wrecking guys with Muay Thai moves in, like, 97, that's all I wanted. I didn't need anything say- else. Anything more than who's next out of his mouth was excessive. It doesn't matter. And like even like in his most recent run, like God bless, 50-plus out there winning titles. That's awesome. It's really, truly great. I don't need the microphone now. Like, I, I don't need him on the mic. That's something they do really well with Brock Lesnar. Like he doesn't said anything. They just have Paul Heyman do all of it. That's what he needs. And make, maybe Paul George or Doc Rivers is going to be his Paul Heyman. Who right. knows? But, uh, yeah, Kawhi, the Terminator, is uh, Goldberg for me. Uh, let's go to one of my clear favorites. Who is the Joel Embiid of WWE? Uh, I don't know how up on it you are, how, if you've been, been like watching the last couple of years, but my Joel Embiid comp is Kevin Owens. Interesting. So Kevin Owens. Sell me on this. So here's the deal. Kevin Owens, storied. Storied independent wrestling career. You and I, Steen. You, yeah, you and I went to go see a couple uh, Kevin Steen matches. My favorite moment in the history of wrestling. It's me, Sean Silver. We're at like the BU Auditorium, just watching some indie wrestling going bananas. And we're in the middle of a technical match, right? They're doing like really kind of showing off the the, the sweet science that is professional wrestling, not sports entertainment. Professional wrestling. Well, the five-year-old girl with her dad sitting next to us wanted some more action. So she stood up on her chair and just started yelling, hurt each other, hurt each other. One of the men in that match was Kevin Steen, (laughs) who wound up becoming Kevin Owens in WWE. Why he is the Joel Embiid of the NBA or of WWE, why they're the comps is because currently when when Kevin Owens is bad, playing like a whiny, like just put upon, this is your fault, I'm doing this because this is your fault. That's what Joel Embiid reminds me of. Because nothing is, he doesn't really, he's not really taking, he's just kind of a rabble rouser. He's just poking people in the ribs and kind of whooping people up. It bothers me so much because I would love you so much if you were on my team. <laughs> if I, if I would, had a reason to cheer for you, I would never let go of that love. And that's that's why. I mean, when you can play the heel really bad and make everyone else hate you, but the people who are there for you like love you more than anything, that's what both of those guys do better than anybody. I really like that. And I, I think we have kind of similar um, – there's similar motivations between the comps that, that we made. Mine's The Rock. Ooh! See, I love The Rock. <laughs> like, I didn't want to bequeath – Joel Embiid with the mantle of the most electrifying man in sports well, and entertainment. See, the thing is, here's here's why, though. Because Joel Embiid could be the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. That's right. But he, he needs the heel turn. Right now, he's Rocky Maivia. Yep. He's still trying to be, you know, to, to quote a, a mid-90s Everclear song, he's still trying to be everything to everyone. Sure, great. And he needs to he needs to abandon that and just go with the motivations that cause him to get into it with Carl Anthony Towns and get him to be a total dick. Just heel turn, Joel. You will unlock your best self. Beautifully said. Speaking of Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, I had him on my list. Who do you think? Who's his uh, w, Who's his WWE comp? Jake the Snake Roberts. Cerebral. Very uh, nice. Interestingly, a man who I met this week. 
I, uh, I went to Newburyport, which is way far away from way up I there. Yep. But it was, it, you know, t- I explained it this way to my wife. Given the amount of wrestling deaths that occur, Jake Roberts is probably one of like the top five most notable wrestlers of that era who's still around. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, an all time legend. Now, this is saying that Carl Anthony Towns has the ability to be an all-time legend. But what what do you remember about Jake the Snake's career? Um, he, ne- he never won the big one. No, never, ever. Never won a title. And that's the question right now with the cat. Right. I agree. I think that's, that's very well said. And I think uh, it's unfortunate. I was actually thinking about that for some other stuff and thinking about future topics we could dive into about who are the best guys to who will probably never win a title. If you were going to guess right yeah. now how good they are, but they're never going to win one, Carl Anthony Towns is not the highest on my list, but he's entering that. I mean, you got to think about that more as guys kind of advance in their career, pushing 30 up a hill, being like, I don't know, like, is this going to happen? Am I going to pick the right one to try to get that ring before I'm just the 15th guy on the bench? Yeah, um, and if you look at the NBA now, P, guys, now that the Warriors thing is, is busted, at least we presume it is, um, guys are going to be putting themselves in position to win titles. Yeah. Um, and Carl Anthony Towns really can't until he's out of Minnesota. That's the right. thing that, that, you know, we've lamented, like, can't you just root for a player, even if he doesn't have, you know, a title in his forecast anytime soon, uh, that may wind up being the undoing of Giannis in Milwaukee. But, you know, as, as far as Carl Anthony Towns goes, it, just because he's, he's been there now for several years, guys, if it's not working out, they find a way to get out of Dodge. Right. So, you know, he's he's going to, when he is approaching 30 years old, he's, uh, if not sooner, he's going to find a way to, to get himself at least in the running uh, for a championship, something where he can convince himself that that's a possibility. Well, we can only hope that, like, his hatred for Joel Embiid continues to grow and maybe he joins an Eastern Conference contender in uh, the shining city on a hill, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, that would be lovely. My Carl Anthony Towns comp is someone who's already come up in this discussion, and that's one John Cena. Oh. The chosen one, right? Yeah. The corporate, The corporate chosen one. Oh, yeah. One of the most highly touted dudes, like Carl Anthony Towns, like coming out, they were like, he's the second coming of Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm. Just the same way that John Cena was supposed to be the second. He's the generational Hulk Hogan, right? Sure. He's the one all the kids like. His, his face is on the merchandise. He's the guy the end of the N the NWA. <laughs> He's the guy the NBA really wanted to be like. This is our guy. Plays by the rules, like someone you can look up to. Not controversial. Yeah. Plays for so a small far. market team. You know, he's our guy. He, we can put him out there. He's he's the one. Uh, so I figured he's the same exact way as John Cena. But here's the difference. When Carl Anthony Towns was coming up or really drafted into the NBA, that's also the time where you didn't necessarily want like the cookie cutter kind of guy who just plays right down the middle, like just goes to work, lunch pail guy, does his work at a high level, like an evolution of Tim Duncan. In mm-hmm. WWE, like you didn't want John Cena shoved down your throat. At that point, people were still clamoring for the next the the second generation of Steve Austin of The Rock. You didn't like that's why Hulk Hogan kind of fell out of favor and had to reinvent himself a bit because there's no it's a dull edge, not a whole lot of edge there. So that's why I feel like John Cena, Carl Anthony Towns, very similar, has nothing to do with the talent, more of like the package they're wrapped up in. And until he kind of like maybe either they can figure out a way to get him 
his faction around him in uh, in in Minnesota, he's not going to fully emerge to be like I don't know whatever the evolution of Carl Anthony Towns is until he goes somewhere else. You know, kind of like Lamarcus Aldridge, though he hasn't really found it. But like you have to break to kind of go find it. And uh, that's that's why I think you always were clamoring for the John Cena heel turn just to see what else he could do, embracing all that energy from the crowd. And I'm interested to see what Carl Anthony Towns does too. Like if he's winds up like just embracing it and going somewhere else, how devastating he could be. Speaking of heel turns and devastation, if Giannis ever leaves Milwaukee, uh, that would be one of those things. My Giannis comp is uh, Rick Martell when he got done with Strike Force. Awesome. He's just like, you know what? You guys aren't carrying the load. I'm out. Now, that's 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 a projection. I am projecting that upon Giannis Antetokounmpo right now, not knowing exactly what's going to happen. My comp for Giannis Antetokounmpo is the man Becky Lynch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Becky Lynch, great hand in the ring. Always wondering when she was going to break out because I was like, when she figures it out, no one's going to be able to touch her. And... By happenstance, she just wound up saying one time, like, to be the be man, the man you, gotta you gotta beat, beat the, the man. man. And he said, she said that in a feud with Charlotte Flair and said, and Charlotte, I'm the man. And all of a sudden, she basically is Steve Austin now. She's the most over person in wrestling. I feel yeah. like Giannis kind of was like, I think I'm gonna see what the gym is all about. And then just got huge, kept growing. People always said, like, if he keeps growing, he, we don't know what he's capable of. He kept growing, and we're seeing what he's capable of now. And I think he's uh, he's taken the mantle. He's the face of the NBA for the next five, ten years. All right, let's move from uh, individual players to teams. If you could take an NBA team and compare them to the, it, I would say in a lot of arguments, the greatest tag team, at least power tag team in the history of wrestling, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, who is that team? It absolutely pains me to say this, but it's the Philadelphia 76ers. Really? How, I mean, dude, the well. shortest guy on that team is 6'9". <laughs> yes. Yeah, you, just, you see the Road Warriors coming, and you're like, my God. Oh, my God. Well, how am I going to beat these guys? Right. You know? You got, like, you know, Iron Mike Sharp and Dangerous Danny Davis in the ring, and all of a sudden, oh, what a rush. Hits and then two guys with spike shoulder pads drive down on motorcycles with a ventriloquist dummy and just <laughs> annihilate them on superstars 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Like, that's the Sixers, man. You see them coming, and it's just like, how I don't know how we're going to beat them. I really don't. So, that, that, that was my comp, as much as it sucks to say. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But uh, my comp was a little bit similar reasons, but a, a little bit different rationale. And it's uh, it's Luca and Porzingis, dude. I was very close to writing that myself. They uh, they're well, they're two big dudes. They're two and and Porzingis is remember Animal was a little bit shorter than Hawk, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know they're two big dudes who can do things that guys their size uh, just generally don't do. Um. And they, I think they have the potential to. You know, if they had the right pieces around them, they had the potential to really do some revolutionary shit there. Uh, that's that's LOD. So yeah. that's that's my comp right there for them. Um, how about uh, if you could make an NBA team D-Generation X, who would that be for you? I'm going to go with the Houston Rockets. 
Really? Yeah. Here's my reasoning behind that is that you have a couple guys. I, I mean, I also just think plain and simple, if there were any two guys that could just get a crotch chop going and have it really catch on, it's going to be James Harden and Russ Westbrook. <laughs> I think it's just they're at the point now where they've had just about enough of not being considered the best at everything. Uh-huh. But they're just kind of like breakneck speed, go out. And I, if, if there was going to be a team that could lead, like really get some people behind them when they get pick some wins up and, and kind of get things going. I know it's not really looking that way right now. But if they can get it going, just attitude above everything else is the Houston Rockets. I'm, I actually went with the Sixers for this. Okay. I think that Embiid is is Shawn Michaels, you know, kind of prancing around, you know, yep. playing to the crowd, but like way into himself. Yep. Um, um, I wanted to say Lucius Harris. I know that that's not his name. Tobias Harris. <laughs> Lucius. <laughs> Tobias Lucius Harris, former New Jersey net. Uh, Tobias Harris is is your Triple H. Uh, ben Simmons is Billy Gunn. Okay. Because he'd love to push him to the moon, but he doesn't have a three point shot, so you can't. And uh, Al Horford is China. And an ass man. <laughs> All right, moving on for that one. And Al Horford is, is China. He is. He's just the silent, like, he'll kick your ass if you're not careful. That's right. And he did the other night, 30-some-odd points. And It's like, wow. And Korkmaz is just out there saying, oh, you didn't know? Bow, now, now, now. Who's getting, ex- who, who's getting X-Pac heat on that Oh, team? boy. X-Pac heat. Ooh, I guess that would have been TJ McConnell, but he's a pacer now. Yeah, I know. That's unfortunate. All right. I got one for you. We mentioned him before. Yep. AEW. New promotion on the block on TNT every Wednesday. Who's your comp for them? Well, they're not new. Uh, because I think they were the number two team in the West, or were they number one last year? I, I forget. Um, the Denver Nuggets. Beautiful. Denver Nuggets, you know, they've they've tried to adhere to different models of team building. Um, you know, they had Carmelo for a long time and tried to make that work, and it, it didn't work. So they just kind of said, you know what, we're going to go and do our own thing. Um, they They were very savvy with the draft. They have players who do different things, and they've just kind of mashed them together in a system that works for them. And the results are pending. Uh, it's obviously, I, I think, early right now, and, and you know the Nuggets might have gotten there a little more quickly than people would have thought. Uh, but if they can keep progressing, they are going to be a contender for the next several years. And I feel like you know once AEW hits its stride, uh, they're going to be a contender too, and they're doing things their own way, not not the way that everybody else is. And that's exactly the reason why I picked this team to be my AEW comp. When I think of teams that are just like, you've done it this way, we want to do it this way, and pulling, they're attracting talent that, that other companies are hoping just conforms to allow them to just kind of do what they want to do and be who they want to be. So that's why uh, picking oneself and betting on oneself to make it work is why the Los Angeles Clippers are my AEW comp. All right. Everyone was like, well, Paul George going to go to the Lakers. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to go to the Lakers. Or like they're going to, and they were like, no, actually, we do want to go to LA, but we're going to do it on our own. I don't want to play in LeBron's shadow. I don't want to just do that. I'm going to do my own thing. And they made it work with the Clippers. So I re- when I think of like the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, like trying to make this thing out of something out of nothing, Kenny Omega, pulling in guys, like promoting guys who deserve the shot. 
I think that's what I think of when I think of the Clippers, like guys who have done their role or played their role expertly for a long time and are now getting the chance to do it their own way. That's my comp right there. Love it. Love it. All right. (laughs) Talk about people wanting to do it their own way. Yeah. Uh, What wrestler to you uh, is the Brooklyn Nets? That'd be Dolph Ziggler. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think because when Dolph was coming up, the show off. The show off. Before he was the show off, when he was just a member of the Spirit Squad. Oh, God. And then he was like, uh, they had a character called Kerwin White, where Chavo Guerrero decided he's like, I'm abandoning my Latino heritage because you guys only like white people, so I'll be the ultimate white person. And then Dolph Ziggler at that time, under the name Nick Nemeth, I believe, was his caddy, like his manager. He liked to golf. Yes. And then he becomes Dolph Ziggler, who's the show off. And like, that's kind of the transition from New Jersey to Brooklyn. He starts getting like now in recent years, the Brooklyn Nets, after just getting devastated, getting just worked like a speed bag in every single trade deal, they're building up from nothing. Dolph Ziggler, kind of the same way, really kind of captures the energy of the audience. And when he won the title the day after WrestleMania, it's the loudest pop I've ever heard. Yeah. And so that's kind of last year with Brooklyn. Like, oh my God, these guys could have had Jalen Brown. They could have had Jason Tatum. They could have had a future of draft picks that they traded away for aging spare parts. And that they're basically going to get relegated to like NBA Europe. Like what's going on with this team? But they somehow were able to scrap something together that really captured the imagination of the audience. And they were really great. But then, you know, made a couple of decisions and they're back to being like, what exactly is going on here? Why? I don't feel like I should be cheering for this person. I don't know what you're doing. I don't believe you're going to be here for very long, Dolph. Uh, because he's always flirting and signing one-year deals, flirting with just being a stand-up comedian. I have yeah. no doubt that Kyrie Irving is going to leave Brooklyn. you know, And I have no doubt that Dolph Ziggler is going to leave wrestling. So that was my comp there. I just don't see the long-term plan here. I don't think you like it very much. I don't know why you're doing this. Yeah, that kind of uncertainty about who to be is why I picked Mick Foley. Oh, okay. You might remember the three faces of Foley. I certainly do. Um, he was Cactus Jack, he was Mankind, and he was Dude Love. I feel like Dude Love is the feel-good, you know, Kenny Atkinson ball of last year, where, you know, it was uh, very democratic. Uh, was, uh, the ball was going ping, ping, ping around the perimeter. A lot of guys, you know, were getting the opportunity to shine that maybe hadn't had it uh, thus far in their career. Uh, this year, they are Mankind. Uh, they are a tortured soul. And uh, some nights, you know, they're, they're going to do some stuff that, that really make you wonder what the, what the real identity of the team is. And if the Nets' identity is indeed Kyrie, it's going to be a mystery yeah. for a long, long time. So will the Nets go to the boiler room? I don't know. But uh, right now, it's, it's kind of unclear what's going on in Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a couple because I think we got some interesting conversation here. And I want to make sure that we get those shots in. Okay. Um, so my question for you, we're talking about moments now. Like, so I want to know what your comp, the most seminal moment in all of television and something you and I talk about every day. What is your comp for the barbershop window? So the barbershop window incident for those uninitiated, and if you're still listening at this point, you don't know what the barbershop window incident is, then God bless you because <laughs> you've just listened to a lot of stuff about wrestling 
uh, that you have no context for. Uh, thanks, Dad. Um, the barbershop window is when Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, the Rockers, uh, there had been some dissension. They were a great high uh, high impact tag team, the late '80s, early '90s. There'd been some dissension, some miscommunication in recent matches. It seemed like Shawn Michaels was getting frustrated with Marty Jannetty. Um, they go on a, a interview segment where all seems well. A hug is exchanged, and then when Marty Jannetty turns his back, Shawn Michaels kicks him through a plate glass window, um, and uh, and that is the dissolution of one of the fan favorite tag teams of the era. Shawn Michaels, of course, goes on to be one of the preeminent talents in the history of the promotion. Marty Jannetty just kind of floats in the ether uh, from there on. Oh, oh, I knew he was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Jannetty. I told you that off and on. Are you kidding? What a despicable act that was. So, my comp to the barbershop window would be if Damian Lillard in Portland decides to dissolve his partnership with C.J. McCollum because Oof. it's not getting him anywhere and just kicks his, super kicks his way out of Portland or does something that ends that union up there because it's not working out for him and then goes on to be a superstar. I mean, you're seeing this year the Blazers aren't playing particularly well, but Lillard's numbers are insane. That's Shawn Michaels. You know, he was able to perform better than almost anybody when he felt like it. Yeah, that's great. That's much better than mine. Mine is uh, my barbershop window is Kyrie not resigning with Boston and going to the Nets. That's fair. That's fair. Like, just to walk out and say, so the whole segment starts with, with... Shawn Michaels saying, like, everyone says there's a problem with the Rockers, and Marty Jenny's like, we're going to put it together. We're going to make this work. That's, that's Kyrie Irving. Going back to rocking and rolling, baby. Going back to rocking and rolling. Shake my hand. They shake hands. That's Kyrie Irving coming out, season ticket holder event. If, if you have me back, I plan on re-signing. I've already told, I've told management, I've told my team I'm coming back, Right. And then it was just a slow to say, you knew, I knew Shawn Michaels was going to turn on Gennetti. I didn't want to believe it, but I knew it. Same thing. As soon as Kyrie Irving said that, I said, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't want to believe this, but I'm positive he's not doing it. It took eight months, but he sure as shit didn't. And I just, I've got the blood streaming down my face. Brutus the Barber Beefcake's checking in on me. <laughs> I'm Gennetti right now. I've been Gennettied by Kyrie Irving. Bobby Heenan is insinuating that you tried to escape through the window. That's right. Brian uh, Windhorse is blaming the Boston fans for this. Blaming right. the Boston mentality. Well, Danny is just take care of his guys. Of course. Yes, it's my fault. Windy. <laughs> oh, man. that Well, see, you, you referenced something that had already happened. I referenced something that could happen. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm storyboarding here. I'm, I'm doing fantasy booking. You're a podcast you're, journalist. Yeah, I, <laughs> Something of that nature. All right. Here's one. I'm very curious because I couldn't come up with one for this. Um, I don't think there's any comparison to this one anymore. Nobody stays in one place for the amount of time where they can be as iconic as Hulk Hogan was when 
he turned on WCW and joined the NWO at Bash of the Beach 1996. So what's your comp for this? It's KD joining the Warriors, Sean. Wow, okay. It was just unbelievable. When, uh, when I could not believe it. The Thunder of 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals. The, they battled back, and then they lose. And you like the, war, the, the Thunder were this close to putting it together. Like if, if, that, if they had played a best of seven game sevens, like I think the the Thunder would have taken it. Somehow it slipped through the fingers, and they just let the Warriors come up and beat them. Granted, the the Warriors went on to lose, but still, that was a heartbreaking game. That I would have figured someone like Durant would have been like, "All right, I'm gonna rebuild. I'm gonna come back. We're gonna get Doubles this again. down. Doubles down. We're gonna get it." But instead, he just decides, "I've got to go with uh, my gut. I need to evolve as a as a player." And he joins the Warriors, the team that beat him out of the playoffs. I was just mind blown by that. In 96, I'm at my buddy Steve's house. There's like me and 15 other guys there that all paid $3 to buy a pizza. We all pulled it together. And I'm watching like, so Sting and Luger, they're getting beat down by Holland Nash. You know, Savage is out there. And they're waiting for the third guy to come. They don't even have a third guy on the Holland Nash team, but they're still cleaning house. Out comes Hulk Hogan. I'm like, yeah, get him. The Hulkster is here. And at this point, you know, I'm ready for something new. But Hulk Hogan, the biggest name in the history of the business, comes down. He's the dude. And just absolutely just breaks my heart, turns it around, and, and, and smokes him. That was my comp. So Hulk Hogan... Goes the NWO. Patrick O'Connor is crushed. You didn't burn a uh, Hulk Hogan uh, t-shirt, though, at the time, did you? Had I a lighter, I would have. (laughs) The last one. The last comp. If you recall, the boyhood dream of Shawn Michaels comes true at WrestleMania, what, 12? I believe so, yeah. Takes on Bret the Hitman Hart in a 60-minute Iron Man match, right? And uh, wins the WWF at that time championship for the first time in his career. It was the ascent of, you know, this incredible talent. You could probably speak more to it than me because he's one of your all-time. I mean, he's one of my all-time yeah. favorites too. But I think there's there's a lot of passion there in, in terms of your fandom of Shawn Michaels. What's the comp for the boyhood dream coming true? I'll actually be surprised if we don't match on this one, Sean. Yeah. But it's the Celtics winning the Banner Seventeen in two thousand. Oh boy. How could it not be? Yeah. How could it not be? 22-year odyssey through the wilderness, dealing with Patino, just the constant, like, we, like growing up, coming of age at the peak, coming of age, <laughs> being born <laughs> at, like, peak Larry Bird time in Boston. Yep, yep. You and I grew up on the Cape. We didn't really live anywhere near the city, but in uh, getting to go to the bo- old Boston Garden to see Larry Bird play basketball, even a couple years later, well beyond when the Celtics were the Celtics. But just everything in my memory at that time is black and white. I just don't remember. It's just like it's there, but it just doesn't pop. I can remember walking into the Boston Garden and like up the tunnel to the seats and felt like it felt like seeing color for the first time. It just there was something in there, there was something in the air that the the banners above and just being there, that's the most that's the brightest thing I'll ever remember. So 
a couple of years go by, the Celtics are getting worse and worse, and I kind of realize it's this is over. Like this is not something. It's just it's never going to be as good as it was when I was a kid. And then watching them and sticking with the team through like the darkest days of 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 Celtics fandom. Red Auerbach passes away. They dedicate the season to Red Auerbach. It's their worst season ever. Terrible. And then things start to turn around, right? It's 2007-2008 season. I'm in my mid to late 20s. I'm away from everyone I know. I'm living in California trying to make it happen, trying to make it work. The one thing I have bonding me to my home is watching the Celtics team. That was something to come home to. That was my return to Boston. Getting to come home and move home during that season was something. It was a touchstone, and it was a memory of what I loved so much about Massachusetts, about growing up, where I did and how I did, and this team that meant so much to me. It was re, it re-sparked my love for everything that I identified with. So that, for the boyhood dream for me, that's my boyhood dream, was just getting to be part of feeling that, being swept up in that. And like, we're, we're in it again. And like, what always keeps me coming back both to the Celtics and for silly little stupid things like watching wrestling is the storytelling aspect. It's not an instant gratification thing. Being a fan means dedication and having to get in there and do it. And ultimately with a big payoff, that's what you got to hope for every single day. I like how you made that comparison there. And, uh, it, it's interesting because as a as a, a kid, you know, waiting, hoping for the Celtics to get good again and, you know, retake their spot at the top of the NBA, for the storytelling aspect, I never knew that the story would involve our lives intersecting as basketball fans. And that, in a way, is poetic because, look, you know, we're 11-plus years moved on from that, and we're still getting together to tell stories about basketball on a weekly basis. And right. you know, that, that, you know, that Celtics season, the end of that season, when you came back from California and we all lived in this, uh, semi squalid, uh, place in Quincy together, uh, you know, was, it was a, a big part of the genesis of our friendship. So yeah, yeah there's that. And again, once again, another example of you, you know, taking something historical that has happened and me doing a little bit of fantasy booking, uh, remember how Damian Lillard was uh, in my in my brain over here, a part of the barbershop window where oh, he yeah. kicked McCollum uh, through the window. Yeah. So I think Damian Lillard is the candidate for the best boyhood dream candidate. Yeah. In the NBA right now, it's not Giannis, uh, it's not Cat, it's the guy who has he, he spent seven seasons in Portland. I, there are very few players in the NBA who spent more than seven seasons in one place. I think there's only two guys who have 10 years or more of service time. And it's Steph, Steph and Udonis and Haslam. Yeah. So if you don't, if indeed Udonis Haslam is still playing, I have not checked out a heat game. But I feel like, you know, Damon Lillard has generated tons of goodwill in NBA Twitter. He's had iconic game-winning shots to which he just continues to add, you know, every season in the postseason last year, certainly. Uh, he's got a little bit of that, you know, bravado that Shawn Michaels had as well. And if he is somehow able to shed, you know, the things that have been holding him back to this point in his career and win one in Portland, if he's still in his prime, if he gets a sniff at an NBA title, 
that would be the boyhood dream because they just don't make them like that anymore. You can't have a Hulk Hogan in the NBA anymore because nobody stays in one place for that long. That's right. They just don't. So this is uh, you know the evolution of basketball. We've seen wrestling evolve. We're seeing it continue to evolve with AEW, uh, with WWE, a network television once again. So we just want to get together and banter a little bit and you know hopefully those of you can kind of understand both sides of where we're coming from kind of got this and and uh you know dug it a little bit this would be a fun one to go back and listen to and yeah it's uh our opinions could change it was a lot of fun i feel like this was kind of a a uh, a big step forward for us like just how fun podcasting can be you know yeah i i had a lot of fun putting together like i said you know some fantasy booking you know, maybe two or three or four or five years from now, I'm looking at this and saying, oh, Damian Lillard still doesn't have a chip. Oh, Carl <laughs> Anthony Towns did exit Minnesota. Then what happened? You right. know, Joel Embiid, now scenarios. a fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what it is. I mean, you know, the, the drama of the NBA, it's uh, it, it may be moving along a little bit more quickly than it did. You know, in the ways that teams get good and, and stay good, the, the, uh, the approach might be different than the old way of building a team. But uh, all that hot drama is still all mixed in there. And that's, you know, part of why we get together to talk about it on a weekly basis. So, P, thanks for drawing these up. You got it, baby. fun. And uh, we'll be back for another week of Knuckle Push-Ups next week. Well, John.